technology scope that the individuals now know about is so much wider. I mean, you have people who are application developers who know about WAF firewalls, who know how to use them, who know how to configure them. And it took a while to kind of unlock this 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 sort of mindset that we should all be that the, the, the controls that they had put in place just didn't make sense. They make sense in more of a, a, a data center kind of mindset or just an old school uh, enterprise mindset. We eventually started to make progress and controls were, were put out and we got the trust in order to do the things that we needed to do. But it, it took a lot of education and explaining um, and a lot of trips back and forth between the two buildings. There's been so many uh, situations where I've heard like we need to move this piece first or this big piece of core infrastructure needs to be ported first or this or that. Uh, and I can say with certainty that that is almost never the case. Like there's there's always a way to get started. There's always a way to get something out there. There's always a way to to, to just start seeing how it works and, and, and start and start using it. Well, welcome back to Cloud Talk. I'm your host, Jeff Diverter. And in this week's episode, which is all about cloud native development, I'm joined by three seasoned software developers who are going to unpack for us everything that we need to know, or at least in the context of a single podcast episode, about cloud native development. Now, while you're listening, head on over to rackspace.com slash solve slash conference to learn all about the Solve Conference coming up on August 3rd and 4th. Registration is free, amazing keynote sessions, amazing breakout sessions, but you'll learn all about it over at that website. All right, well, let's get into this week's episode all about cloud native development. between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking the sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. Software development, it's existed, well, since there was hardware. You got to make that stuff run on something. And, uh, and there's been different themes throughout the years as you've, we've gone from one technology to another. And, uh, but, but as we've, we've kind of gotten into this, this cloud era, and, but not very much at the beginning, but absolutely now, what we find is there's a new, there's a new favorite flavor. There is a new methodology that, that it seems, well, a lot of people are, are jumping on, and that is cloud native. And it's, it, it applies to the infrastructure, it applies to software development. And uh, in our conversation today, I thought, you know, let's invite some people who that's their lives. That's what they do from sunup to sunup is uh, spend time enabling cloud native development. So I've got several guys that have joined me today. First is Chris O'Malley. Uh, Chris, why don't you introduce yourself? What's your role here at Rackspace and, uh, and how long have you been developing software? Oh, thanks, Jeff. Um, yeah, so I uh, lead our cloud native development practice, um, uh, fitting uh, to be here, I guess, today. Um, yeah, we're, we're basically the app dev uh, wing of professional services. We help customers kind of adopt cloud native development practices and um, help them get software out into production. Um, and so my background actually starts pretty down low on the stack, um, as it were. I uh, uh, have a double E uh, from, from university and, and uh, used to do a lot of embedded firmware dev and VHDL and that sort of thing, and then kind of slowly made my way up the stack 
um, and got further and further away from the hardware. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my story. Great. Well, I'm getting further and further away from the hardware. Isn't that the theme of cloud native development as well? Uh, to, to Indeed. Extent. All right. Nate, Nate, Michael is here as well. Uh, my name is Nate Michael. Uh, I'm a practice manager uh, in cloud native development here at Rackspace. Um, I've been working in software for the better part of 20 years um, for uh, enterprises and startups, big and small, um, all sorts of stuff and wearing many hats along the way. Um, and much like Chris, uh, my journey has kind of been all over the stack. Um, and after you know so long of managing the servers, uh, if you can see a path where you don't have to manage servers anymore, um, it, it's a really happy path for you. So um, that's, that's kind of how I ended up where I am. Got it. It's a really good day. Okay. Uh, spontaneous question. What was your first job in IT? My first job in IT was actually at Apple. Really? <laughs> um, Doing what? Was, yes. Yeah. Uh, I was working uh, with hardware actually and repairing Apple products. Okay. It all starts with, yeah. with the hardware. Now we're just trying to get as far away from it as possible. That's our theme today. All right. Matt Puccio, you're next. What's your background? What do you do? Yeah, so I'm also a practice manager here with the cloud native group uh, with inside of Rackspace, I'm reporting with with up to Chris, working closely with Nate and the other practice managers here to keep these guys uh, in the team really well oiled and delivering quality for our customers. Um, I actually come from a, a art background. And uh, right, right out of school, I, I realized that art wasn't going to pay the bills for me. Um, <laughs> so, so towards the end of that, I taught myself, um, you know, so, along the lines of computer science uh, type courses, uh, much when that was stuff was really becoming available fairly easily on the Internet. Right. Um, ultimately shifting directly right out of college straight into to doing software and then been doing that ever since. Ultimately started with the startup space for about five years of my career and then shifted into uh, something a little bit more stable. Clearly, I'm I'm still working today, so none of those startups really worked out for, for me. Right, um, right. But, uh, but a lot of cool hats to wear along the way and uh, really gets us into ultimately, you know, same thing as, as Nate said, the moment you get to move away from managing servers and into something away from that, it's been, you know, a fantastic journey. All right. Well, the question we all want to know is art still a part of your life though? It's not really other than nitpicking people's designs and, uh, <laughs> from, from anything on their web, I, I have a pretty decent eye for it. And unfortunately it's one of those curses that you can almost never get rid of. You can't get away from it. My first career was in music. So it's kind of similarly, except I, I, out of school, you know, did pursue it for a while and it was all about production and audio and, uh, worked inside of recording studios for years, owned one and then had a family and realized, you know what, um, this is a great hobby. And I think that I'm going to uh, follow the first thing that I was going to do. And that of course was, was computery stuff. So off I went and yada, 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 here I am at Rackspace a few years later. Well, I think that uh, where we probably should start is not everybody understands or knows what cloud native is. So, Chris, maybe we'll start with you. Why don't you define what is cloud native to you? Yeah. So, I mean, in general, basically, it's an approach to uh, writing software, building platforms where you're basically focused on delivering uh, end user value, customer value, first and foremost. Um, you're concentrating on the things that are unique to your system and sort of getting things that are less important or can be handled by someone else uh, out of the way. 
So, you know, examples of that are, are you know, as we said, kind of at the onset, managing servers, right? And, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the operational overhead associated with that. So um, in general, kind of this term you hear thrown around is this undifferentiated load, basically something that is not really you know, good for your business or, or makes your, your business special. That That's kind of foisted off. So it could be, you know, a managed database or, or as we said, servers, it could be, you know, you're not actually managing those, you're running your code in some other function or container um, where it, uh, you don't actually have to worry so much about how that's done. Um, so that's the core idea. And so when, when you are, are sort of keeping that idea in mind, there's a lot of implications there about how software is written and how you iterate on that, that sort of fall out of it. But if you keep that sort of core idea um, at the forefront, um, that's, you know, that's basically what cloud native means. Got it. All right. So, and if effectively, we're 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 abstracting that server layer. We're using a service, and uh, whether whether we're using a platform to be able to put our own code into, or utilizing pre-built type stuff, we are we're dealing with services as opposed to servers. Would that be a correct assessment? Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly right. Okay. So so what changes occur then? You know, Nate. The, the in, so inside of teams, what are some of the things that that people need to start thinking about differently? Um, actually, I'm going to strike that. What I did want to do is ask you that question I asked you to before. What what attracted you to it as opposed to the service? Okay, cut. Well, Nate, back over to you. I mean, you mentioned you got interested in cloud native, maybe a little bit um, jokingly, because you wanted to get away from servers. But what are you going towards? What attracted you to this type of development? I mean, ultimately, it's it's all about efficiency to me. Um, I I hate, and I, I think a lot of software engineers feel the same way. I hate kind of re reinventing the wheel, right? Um, and reusability. Yeah. I don't want to get too philosophical. And reusability in software is an interesting thing. But if you ask a seasoned software engineer, you know how many login pages that they've written in their entire career, you might be surprised to hear their answer, right? Um, and we want to get away from that. Like uh, that doesn't deliver any 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 value to the business. It doesn't deliver any value to the team really. Um, and we want to just hyper-focus on, on delivering that, that value to the business and to the end user. Right. Got it. So reusability through components that we exist. Um, well, wouldn't that also allow you to create a platform of capabilities, a whole jumping off point for, from project to project, or even inside of an organization to create a level of consistency then for them to build on top of? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're looking at more efficient teams, smaller teams, um, you know, you get, it's way more cost effective to do it that way. Um, and you're able to iterate much faster, try things a lot faster, um, find out what works, what doesn't work a lot faster, um, and just keep moving, right. Instead of getting kind of bogged down and especially, you know, it, it helps avoid a lot of the tech debt as time goes on. So it doesn't get slower and slower, you know, as, as development continues. See, this is one of the things that, that, that I find we have part of the conversation, uh, all the time. And that is, I come in to have a technical conversation and we start talking about people and teams and, and, uh, and pace and process uh, that aren't technical at all, but it applies to every aspect of technology uh, today. You know, um, you know, Matt, how has that impacted, you know, your view of, of going in and working on a project? I mean, you can't just go in with a, a tool chest of tech anymore, it sounds like. You've got to deal with people and you've got to deal with process. Yeah, you do. And, and a lot of it also comes down to uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for. You're, you're, 
teaching something to the customer. You're you're trying to help them understand what they're actually getting into. Um, you know, tooling aside, that that is a big portion of the conversation that they need to have. But when we work with customers, a lot of it is making sure that they fully understand what they're getting into, and then how can right. they get up and running to support that? You know, because they will need to have a different technical skill set with inside of their own teams. Um, and it does bring that conversation back to less out of the tooling side and now into your people skill set side and, and back to the, you know, your individuals with inside of your organization. Um, so a lot of, you know, working with customers to help them understand what they're fully getting into when they actually do this big shift and what that looks like for them. Um, you know, Tools are tools. There's thousands of them, and a lot of people can are very technically skilled using those tools in the proper way, much like you would with managed services from multiple cloud providers. Is the same thing. It's it's a whole nother skill set of understanding the nuances behind each every one of these things. You know, when I was uh, since I already mentioned I, I had started my career as an engineer and a and a music producer. You know, we used to joke that our job was barely half music, uh, especially when the artist was in there. And it was mostly a psychiatrist uh, and a counselor helping them through whatever they were going through at the moment to help get out of them what we needed to get out of them. And it almost sounds like there's some direct parallels here, especially if you're encountering a company that's earlier in this cloud native transformation. You know, what are some of those mental roadblocks or physical roadblocks that you find going into organizations? Because I think this will be really helpful for folks who are thinking about embarking on this. What are some of these things they have to consider? Technology aside, what are the some of those organizational or people process type issues you've got to deal with? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's an aspect of um, I'm trying to think of, of the music relation to this, but like a good example might be like how often you release software, right? Like how, yeah. how frequently you're releasing a new album or a new track or something like that. I, I'm not going to go too deep into this uh, relationship here, but, but that's a very common thing. And, and um, I think showing sort of how a cloud native approach and some of the tools that are there unlock this capability um, and just, you know, those those tools and leveraging that and sort of rethinking your architecture and approach can, can you know basically unlock the ability to release more frequently and so that's part of the the idea of like business value that we're talking about it's not just like we're we're releasing you know hot new features monthly or, or every three months like we used to do but we're actually able to do this much more frequently you might even be able to a b test or or um you know see how our customers are going to react to things more quickly um so that's a big benefit to the cloud native approach is um, more focused towards that, um, and and, freak, and and showing people how this approach and this tooling um, gets you to that that place where you can do stuff more frequently. That that's just one aspect of it as well. I'm sure there, I'm sure there's other good examples from from Nate and Matt here. Yeah, Nate, maybe over to you. What are, what are some of those roadblocks or challenges that organizations have in adopting this? I mean, um, from tip to tail, it really is a shift in thinking, um, especially from a traditional software development uh, kind of. Uh, approach, I would say, um, a lot of the processes have to change and 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 bend and and kind of um, adapt to to this new way of thinking. Um, it doesn't have to be wholesale, you know. You can do it in phases. You can you can do it gradually, um, but it is a shift in thinking, and it's. I, I would say it's probably more of a shift in thinking than it is a shift in 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 actual, you know, the way that you develop, right, uh, or a shift in architecture. Yeah. Um, but, but as Chris was saying, and just to, to echo off him a little bit, it does enable 
um, all those those neat things, right? Um, and as a, as a developer myself, um, I like to build stuff. That is my goal: is to build stuff and see it working and see people using it. That's that's what makes makes me excited, right? Um, and yeah. you know, when I have to sit there and, and wait, you know, hours or days for a code review and then a build and then a release cycle and then a, a quality assurance and all this other stuff. Um, it, it's, uh, it's a little bit, you know, demoralizing a little bit. So, um, again, it, it kind of, <laughs> well, let's, let's pick that apart. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, let's, let's pick that apart because you're, we're not getting rid of, of uh, code review. We're not getting rid of QA. These still exist, but how are they different in a, in a cloud native world? That's a really good question. And um, in cloud native, you know, when you're, when you're building all these architectures, it, it, when you follow the best practices and when you follow the kind of the suggestions and recommend it, recommendations, it kind of forces you to build things in a way that enable these, these processes, Right. Um, it's very easy to kind of fall in in a trap door in a rabbit hole um, and get bogged down by these processes. And then you need to have teams or people managing these processes or splitting their time managing these processes. Um, but when you build um, build kind of in a cloud native uh, way, I suppose, um, you know, a lot of this stuff is kind of in- enabled for you and it becomes a way less. Um, there's a lot less friction um, to get that stuff going and get it going quickly and keep it um, fast and efficient. Right. Um, when you start it, it, there's almost a little bit of uh, conflict between kind of like old, um, old school type enterprise, uh, release processes and kind of how you would build on a, on a cloud native platform. It sounds like maybe you're being a little kind that there could be a little bit of conflict between enterprise, traditional enterprise software development and, and cloud native. And you guys can't see this. Everyone's laughing now um, because there's a lot of conflict. There are no there. There are patterns that you find in enterprise software development, but they're on steroids in cloud native. Yeah, it's like would that be a correct assessment? It's that. Well, it's it's the big kind of waterfall approach where your you know codes developed developed by different teams over long periods of time, and then there's this big integration period at the end, and there's just a massive bugs and working through it. Um, and that's frankly kind of an anathema in in cloud native, right? Um, you're you're you you still have teams, you're still iterating. All the points you said, Jeff, are, are valid. Like we're still doing QA and still testing, but we're we're doing it in smaller increments, and the system. That's under test in that instance is 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 more diminished, right? You're you're actually not testing something that implies that we're making sure the servers are up and running, right? Or we're, or we're making sure the database was set up correctly and it scales correctly, like because some of that is actually offloaded. It's taken care of, like you know the database is going to scale because you kind of set those parameters and that managed service correctly, and it's good. Um, you set up concurrency in Lambda, for instance, correctly. And that's good. Like you're not going to actually have to worry about that. You're going to be more worried about the business function. Does that work correctly? If somebody you know does their checkout cart, um, you know goes goes through that checkout process, are they going to have the expected outcome? Um, are they going to see the you know the correct GIF or whatever you know at the right time? So th- those sorts of things that are about your product that make it unique. Those are the things you're going to have to focus more on in the QA process rather than the overall stability and load of of your system. Okay, so because, let me just pull this together. So because we're now working in an environment that is more modular, we're utilizing Lambda functions inside of AWS, Azure functions over on the Azure side of the house. Because we are working in a more modular area, that allows us then the capability to write in uh, more compartmentalized software code. And because we're doing it in that nature, we don't have to bundle up the entire monolithic application compile it and test it as a whole, we can work it 
work it in these small functions, in these small bite-sized chunks. Correct assessment? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not to say that these ideas haven't existed previously, right? It's, it's, it's a, it's an idea about smaller chunks have been around for a while, but um, something about that kind of mindset around building software and the, this managed tooling has now kind of uh, joined together to fully unlock that um, not just from a um, kind of uh, componentization process composition aspect of building software, but actually from an operational standpoint as well. And that sort of like, uh, connection is sort of where cloud native, um, you know, processes and architecture, like at all, that's kind of where it all comes together. Could we say that the cloud has truly enabled all of the promises that were promised in a services oriented architecture kind of software design methodology? Yeah, I think that's fair. Pretty, pretty fair to say. Okay. I don't want to overreach, but I feel like the promises that we heard about that, and when, when did I first start reading? Back in 2005, probably, uh, or before. Uh, you know, but a lot of that was running on top of, you know, WebSphere, you know, portal and, and all of this stuff. So you had this monolithic, you know, infrastructure uh, bit. And, and, but so we really weren't able to deal with it, it truly as these little micro sections. But now the, the componentry is broken down in a cloud-based world or even by utilizing containers. Yeah, now we can deal with this stuff. There, there's something about the tooling now, and, and I think um, Nate sort of spoke to this earlier, that actually kind of forces you to do it this way. Whereas like, you know, previously, again, it was uh, maybe academic or like you could demonstrate it in practice. But when you actually had to go and build something, maybe you kind of revert to how you would do it before and, and sort of monolithic yeah. mindset would kind of uh, reign again. But there's something about how these services work together and kind of... Um, how you can uh, basically build stuff from building blocks that actually encourages you and you know kind of makes you think this way as you're as you're architecting the system. Well, let's go back to some of the practices of before, and you know we talk about the code review. You know, one of the people sitting at the table uh, was there from security uh, to make sure that you know you're you're following all the rules. How does security fit into this? Because you know we should have led with security, we should end with security because of. Everything is about security these days. So, um, so Matt, how do we deal with security in this cloud-based environment, uh, cloud cloud native world? I could also turn the question back and go, which layer? Um, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, okay. Uh, let's let's talk about that then. I mean, that's a great point. It's not just a blanket. Hey, deal with security. We have to look at it at multiple layers. What are those layers in 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 gross? Yeah, I mean they can they can really span basically the whole stack all the way down to the hardware. Though we don't have to think about that anymore. Traditionally, you would have to go all the way down to, um, you know, people who own data centers. They would even worry about the security of the guards who are in front of their data centers. And obviously, that still yeah. happens today. Um, but those are the you know the non uh, you know technological style of security. But Going back to to the things that traditionally you'd be worried about is like, you know, your network firewalls, wondering, you know, who's got access to what, how they access them via a lot of VPN connections and managing that at scale. And you still see this with a lot of large enterprises um, is is just the overall cost that, that goes along with that. And that's just not hard costs, those are man hours as well. So the sweat equity <laughs> that they're putting into it. Well, and it's also dealing, when we think about that in a security mindset that says, I can build a wall that is strong enough to keep the bad guys out. Yeah, but that wall is also probably going to be strong enough to keep your own teams out, unfortunately. That's right. It, That's right. Double-edged sword there. Um, but, you know, shifting to some of the new things that, that we have to think about in security, you know, going back a little bit more to 
the software side of things, you know, we have the ability to automatically scan just for vulnerabilities that are known in the world today in code bases. We can do it across cloud provider accounts. We can do dynamic code testing. We can do static analysis code testing. And luckily, these technology companies that have come out to provide these services have integrations to our build processes. So now it's, you know, a first class citizen right into our into our development process. Um, some of them even go as far down into your IDEs to give direct feedback. Mm. So that's more on the code side of things. But then you could take it back and, and keep scaling that, you know, more and more um, wider towards what does your account structure look like? Because ultimately now your networks are running in accounts. People need access all the way up to user management. I mean, the list goes on and on, but instead of actually now worrying about the physical security, um, there's all these tooling security that we're really focusing on as well beyond just code applications and the stuff that we deploy. Okay, so where before we would have looked at security um, at the different layers and had somebody to represent those different layers and make sure your code was behaving well. Now what you're saying is a large part of that is built either into the tooling or into the infrastructure that we're actually using. Yeah, and each one of those comes, you know, traditionally each one of those would come with a very expensive piece of hardware to go along with it and a very expensive individual to manage that hardware that goes along with it. Where do those people go? They're still around. They became software developers. (laughs) Yeah, they became... uh, yeah, just general support engineers. Great. But it's a really good, actually, I made a joke, but the joke's really actually relatively true because all of these jobs, whether I was uh, a Windows or a Linux system admin, whether I'm managing firewalls, in the old days, I'm literally going and logging into these environments. I'm literally making GUI changes to make these environments run. Now, now some scripting came along after the fact to make that a little bit easier. But when these servers disappear and I still have to provision infrastructure that sort of looks and feels or behaves like a firewall might or a, or a web app firewall or load balancer might behave, this is now all done ideally 100% through, through scripting. And so your Windows admins, your Linux admins, I mean, they really need to, and have if, if they want to have a job in the future, is it a safe assumption to say they need to become coders? I mean, most of them have adapted along the way here. They, you know, I don't think it caught anyone off guard. Um, you know, we're at that that tipping point to where they should have adapted already. But part of yeah. part of that is that their jobs, sure, those specific jobs disappear, but they've trans- transitioned into other, you know, support roles. Um, but ultimately, yeah. when I work with customers, you know, we have to educate them that, the technology scope that the individuals now know about is so much wider. I mean, you have people who are application developers who know about WAF firewalls, who know how to use them, who know how to configure them, which previously, yeah. you know, that would be a specific sysadmin or IT admin that, that housed that knowledge and basically black boxed it away. Yeah. Well, and, and the delineation then becomes your code is the should be the provisioner of that of that virtual infrastructure that calls upon a configuration set by a security team who is is familiar with the infrastructure and um, has helped to define and set and regulate what the policies are. Yeah, there's a there's a democratization aspect of security as well, where you know traditionally maybe a, a developers were actually relying on these these folks we're talking about to kind of manage the overall security of the environment. And now 
with a more you know cloud native approach where, where the developers are not just writing the code, they're also managing the managed infrastructure that they're using to deploy their app. They're also by extension managing the security policies around that. Right. Um, and so it's not a a, a mono, again, a monolithic security organization, you know, SecOps that's kind of gatekeeper of, of all these sorts of decisions that's kind of being spread out. And there is overall policy put in place and approaches uh, that are, you know, dictated by by some. And there there are controls you would put a, a, a in place across multiple cloud accounts and environments. Um, but the the detail, some of the details of that is going to be sort of sucked into the uh, individual, you know, teams that are that are building these applications, and, and they're going to take over that security, which I think is a great thing because they're everybody's sort of bought in on it as well, uh, and and understands the implications, and everybody's kind of on the hook to make things are being make sure being done correctly. I think what's what, what, you know somebody hasn't gone down this road yet or hasn't fully embraced this methodology yet. Um, what they're obviously hearing is everyone's role changes. And not that any of these things don't matter, but the way they get implemented, it's probably someone else's job now. And the way they're managed is totally different. Uh, and the way that people work together needs to absolutely change in order for this to be efficient. You can't have security over in building 103 and the dev team over in building 500 and, uh, and expect to be productive. I mean, these, you, you're, you're shoulder to shoulder in this new world. It's it's funny you say that, Jeff, because like one of the very first engagements I had here was 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 basically that I actually did have to go to a different building to talk to the SecOps team, uh, and then walk back over to the team that I was helping to deliver with. This was on site with a customer. We'll obviously not name that customer, but that was yeah. that's exactly what happened. And it took a while to kind of unlock this 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 sort of mindset that we should all be that the the, the controls that they had put in place just didn't make sense. They make sense in more of a a, a data center kind of mindset or just an old school uh, enterprise mindset. Right. But um, we, we eventually started to make uh, progress and controls were, were put out and we got the trust in order to do the things that we needed to do. But it, it took a lot of education and explaining um, and a lot of trips back and forth between the two buildings. <laughs> I would imagine. All right. So, um, uh, so cloud native is not a shrink wrapped application. You can go and download or buy uh, or get from anyone's particular cloud vendor. It's a lot of stuff. So, um, so Nate, back to you for a second. Um, what I want you to do is think through, actually, everybody just start to ponder this for a second. What is the, you know, although I think Chris, you may have already given my your answer. Um, when you've gone in to do some software development in a, in a, in a cloud native was the expectation, but you walk into an old school enterprise. What was then the biggest challenges that you occur? How did you deal with those situations? And I'm leading towards something. There's going to be, you're going to get to give some advice uh, to, to half of the world here in just a second. But, but for now, let's talk about some of the challenges that you've had in, in the old world and the new world. So Nate, maybe start with you. Um, okay. Um, yeah. So it's a, uh, it's a little bit of an art form, right? I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a clear, you know, path from A to Z um, for every single enterprise. Um, so you kind of have to analyze the situation a little bit, discover the pain points, right? So maybe start to identify some low hanging fruit, um, any, you know, scalability bottlenecks are generally a really good place to start when we're talking about, um, you know, architectures like this. Um, and, you know, again, you know, we can't forget the people in the process. You kind of have to start gathering, you know, putting the feelers out and kind of seeing how their teams interact with each other um, and, and determining kind of, you know, what what we need to, to you know, 
educate the customer about as, as far as like the process and, and people and, and right. all that yeah. kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it, it's not definitely not one size fits all. Um, and you know, there's some unique approaches, but, um, definitely, you know, the, the, one of the biggest benefits of, of an architecture like this and a, and a process like this is, um, is that kind of scalability, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not really having to worry about it. And then the cost optimization that comes with that scalability, um, so, and go ahead. Yeah. So, so you say, of course you gotta, you gotta manage the people in the process. Have you ever gone in to do a project and the people and the, or maybe it, whether that's individuals or organizational structure or processes were so non where they needed to be that you had to stop the project so that that could get fixed first. Um, <laughs> you, yes, and you don't have to name have, names. <laughs> we have absolutely been in that, that situation. Um, and, um, that's why I mean we we really do see ourselves as a as a partner uh, at least to our customers and so that helps a lot because that's right. like that's part of that's part of our responsibility that we that we take upon ourselves is to make sure that like hey we're gonna do this work and we're gonna do it good and we're gonna build this thing and it's gonna work great but we also want to make sure the customer can handle it and operate it and their team can handle it and operate it and they can make this thing valuable to them right um, yeah. because we we don't just want to you know take someone's money and run away and say okay have fun right. Um, we, we, we definitely want, you know, uh, we want the, the business and, and their customers and everyone else to be successful. So, um, right. yes, we have absolutely been in that situation and it is one of those things where it's, um, you know, you kind of put up the red flag and you're like, we need to, we need to fix this first and then yep. let's, let's get into the, the fun stuff. Right. Yeah. All right. So here's a question. Um, and I'll start with, with a statement and that is whether, regardless of, of what, uh, analyst firm you talk to, they'll tell you that anywhere between 20 and I'll be generous, 40% of, of businesses out there have actually begun any, any meaningful transformation to a cloud native architecture. Meaning even if we give them up to 50%, half of the world has no idea how to do this. Probably it's greater than half of the world. So now from the software development side of the house, what is your advice on how to best approach this. So what is the first, second, or maybe third step? And, and um, you know, Matt, let's start with you. And, uh, and what would your advice be? Oh, there was, a, there was a gift back in the day where it was Shia LaBeouf, and he just said, just do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just start. Yeah, yeah, just start. Um, you know, an, uh, paralysis by analysis is, is a big thing that I see with customers. I mean, they have a lot of decisions to make, a, a lot. And that ranges from hiring people all the way down to some of their specific build tools. But those decisions are spread out over tons of people. Ultimately, you know, that's, that's one thing is just starting somewhere, starting small um, and being able to do it in an actionable way, right? Set, set a small goal out and keep iterating on those goals. So that's the biggest thing that I see is there's these grandiose schemes that people have, which it's admirable but it's not actionable. So ultimately that, that leads them down to the same thing where they end up going back. Let's have an internal meeting. Let's discuss this offline. Four or five months later, you're still having that conversation offline um, and still trying to make decisions. So if you can just do it, set together you know, a small goal for yourself um, to start that transformation. It, I mean, you could go talk to anyone and say this, this could be applied to any part of your life. Right. But it, it's the same thing with te- technology decisions. Cause there are big dollar amounts that are going to be tied to this over time. Um, 
so, you know, one of the, one of the things that I try and help people understand is the decisions you make now are important, but if you make them a standard that has to live or withstand five years, you're going to end up holding your company back. Make your decisions now for your business needs that are now and make the business needs or the decisions that you need for your business needs in a year in a year. There's no reason to make all those decisions up front. There's considerations, sure. Right. But identifying the decisions you need to make now versus those that can be made in six months, 12 months, 18 months. And then what does your five-year map look like? How do you split that up? Um, it's biggest thing is planning for me. Yeah. And just get started. And just get started. That's right. Yeah. And I would just to jump on that too, is not just get started, but also get it into production. Um, mm-hmm. cause we've encountered, um, you know, uh, customers that we, we work with where we, we help them with that pilot, right. And we get kind of that first thing going, um, but it doesn't ever make it into production. Um, and that's frustrating for everybody. It's like they're, they're on this path. They sort of see a way forward. Um, and we get it, we demo it. And it's like, here, here's a model for how we can do this kind of going forward, but it doesn't actually get somewhere where people can see. And this gets at what sort of, you know, Nate was saying earlier. Um, it, it's not enough to just start it and kind of learn about the tools and sort of dip your toe into it, but actually get it out there and, and make it part of your, your overall system. Um, and that actually, there's so much learning that occurs, uh, in the process of doing that. Um, and then the team gets confidence around it, the, 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 the developers in particular, um, start to see that this is a, 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 a valid way of kind of building systems going forward. And then they can iterate on it. Um, and that's a lot of how we operate too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we work with customers and we sort of meet them where they are. If they haven't touched this at all, um, we'll come in and sort of help them get that pilot going. Um, and often as you know, we want to get in there, get out, as Nate said, uh, and then leave them with something that they can iterate on. They have a model for how to do it um, going forward. Um, and that's really our goal here. That's really good. So, so get it into production. You said so then get used to the tools. I think it was the words you used in how to do the process. But I would say the other piece of that is so they can start to realize the benefit, whatever it is. Is it faster deployment? Are they making more money? Are they saving money? What is the thing? Because if they don't get a little bit hit of that that sugar, then um, then it's just a change in process, and that's just hard. Yeah, agreed. There has to be some value add there. I mean, and I think the the cost one, the the complexity. Um, there's, there's, and the ability to iterate more quickly, all of these things are, are, should be apparent from, from, you know, from the moment it's in production and people start using it. Well, and once you get it to production too, like any good hard job, um, usually once you finish the job, you know, enough to actually go back and do the job. So, Hey, let's iterate this sucker again and make another pass and you'll do it half the time. You'll, you'll be more successful. And then you can start to grab onto some other things as well. Uh, Nate. What would you tell that budding CTO who wants to uh, transform the world in his organization through uh, through through cloud native? Because it's so important, I'm going to echo these guys and uh, say, just do it. Like, it, you just got to jump. Um, there's been so many uh, situations where I've heard, like, we need to move this piece first, or this big piece of core infrastructure needs to be ported first, or this or that. Uh, and I can say with certainty that that is almost never the case. Like there's, there's always a way to get started. There's always a way to get something out there. There's always a way to, to, to just start seeing how it works and, and, and start and start using it. Right. If you're the software engineer that won't see your feature in production for four months, or if you're the product manager that is planning your feature for next year right now, right. Because things just are moving so slow. This will benefit you, you know, every, every facet of the organization. Right. Um, so just, just do it. It's 
changing the thought process is scary. Learning new technologies is scary. It's a hundred percent worth it. But, but that's also why we're here too, is to, to help and support them. Right. And, um, not everyone will have those, those, you know, those things and maybe seeking out the, you know, a partner for yourself, for your company is, is step numero uno, right? That's where they want to begin. Yeah, Matt, I was going to actually make that mention. Partner up. I mean, we do this work. There are great partners the world over and who have helped companies go through this transformation time and time again. There's no reason to go it alone. And that's the other thing. Uh, I talked about this five or six podcasts ago with, with, with the guest, and that was in this cloud native world where things are moving faster, you're working in an agile environment. By the way, you don't have to choose a partner that you're married to for the next 30 years. This isn't the days of, you know, IBM's and mainframes. Choose somebody, work on a project. You don't have to stay with them if they're not serving you well. Find someone who does serve you well. Um, you're bringing all of these teams together. Remember that therapy conversation? Find people you enjoy working with. Personalities that that gel. People who know the craft. People who, uh, who know how to help you uh, go through this process. Um, and that'll probably change as you mature with your organization. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for being a part of this today. This has been uh, insightful, and we're gonna have to uh, gonna have to have you back so that we can take this to the next level. Of okay, so they've started. What next? They've gotten one project under the belt, so be thinking about that one. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. Cloud native development. Where are you and your teams on your journey to utilizing, well, not just the latest and greatest in tech, but transforming your teams and how you work and the and the skills that you've got? We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to cloudtalk at rackspace.com. Well, hopefully while you were listening to this episode, you went over to rackspace.com slash solve slash conference to learn more about the Solve Conference coming on August 3rd and 4th of this year. It's going to be a stellar event, and I really hope to see you there. All right. And last but not least, you know, subscriptions really do make a big difference in the podcast game. And I'd love for you, if you're enjoying this podcast, to go to wherever you find podcasts and subscribe to Cloud Talk. Maybe even leave us one of those five-star reviews. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for us for this week. Now, next week, we've got an episode on ransomware. You're not going to want to miss it. See you then.